I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. Welcome into the ECU weekly roundtable. We are live. We are on Facebook. We're on YouTube. I tried to just pull us up on Twitter. It said our broadcast was unavailable. I don't know if that's just my phone or what. <laughs> um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm Stephen Igo. Scott Lorbatcher, Jonathan Wagner are alongside before we get started, I want to reemphasize we're running a 50% off special on Hoist the Color. Subscribe now. Get 50% off for the next year. If you're a monthly subscriber, you can upgrade your subscription for 50% off. You get the annual price, half off. You're locked into the year. You get baseball season, spring football, recruiting season, preseason camp, football season, basketball season, all of that going on over the course of the next year, 50% off. Jo- uh, join in while you can. Guys, we got a lot of ECU baseball to talk about. Also, want to reemphasize the need to like our broadcast, subscribe on the Hoist of Colors YouTube page, not just on hoistofcolors.net, and comment. You guys hear us talk about this. You hear it on every podcast you listen to, but who actually does it? Well, I'm telling you right now, do it. It makes a difference. It helps our numbers. Uh, We still are looking for an NIL deal for the podcast. Scott Lorbatcher is going to hunt you down. He's going to break into your house on May 2nd, if you don't do it by May 1st, and he's going to like, subscribe, and comment on your computer under your username. Scott, tell them they need to do it right now. You got to do it. And once you have liked commented subscribed then you're gonna hit that bell that's beside the subscribe button that gives you notifications that tells you when we're live so you know right when we go live you don't you don't miss the beginning when we tell you to like comment and subscribe every time because you'll be here to know that you have already done what we've asked of you he nailed it could have said it any better uh yes that is a bill dance t-shirt uh johnny gardner asked as always, comment 
on our live stream. We'll read it on the air. We're already getting questions about basketball and the basketball transfer portal. Christian, appreciate it. This is a baseball podcast. We will discuss some basketball, perhaps. I can tell you right now, ECU is looking at a lot of people in the transfer portal, and there's a lot of moving parts, including a lot of NIL money being offered right now. ECU can't really do that to the top guys in the country, so it's a little bit of a struggle, but they are trying and efforting. So let's talk baseball, guys. Pirates, four and one week. They've gone nine and one over the last 10 games. That's two five-game weeks. That's extremely difficult to do. We'll get into what the theme of this podcast is, at least to start with. Is ECU already being disrespected in the national polls? We'll talk about that here shortly. But, Jonathan, let's talk about this past week. Four and one, it didn't start the best way. Obviously, losing the opening game to UNCW was not ideal. But the Pirates come back, they win four in a row. And I think you can't really ask for more over 10 games, over two five-game weeks. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think coming off of that, you know, five and a week last week, you kind of wondered, you know, another two game midweek set plus a challenging weekend series. And, you know, I think last week I talked a lot about how UNCW at UNCW is always just the most frustrating game for whatever reason, it just always is. And it lived up to the billing this year and UNCW took that one. And then you, you, you had to rebound on Wednesday. You did not want to enter the weekend. zero and two, you came back on Wednesday, you won a close game and then you played a, Looking at the numbers from this weekend, you might not think Missouri State's that good, but Missouri State, they can hit. I think it speaks more about ECU's pitching. I think that's the storyline, but really impressive weekend all around. A lot to like, a lot to talk about. And you couldn't ask, couldn't have asked for a better week considering how you started if you're ECU. Scott, I remember you saying in the preseason that that you, uh, you thought the – the Missouri State series was one that you really forward to most. Did it end up living up to the hype? Um, just in terms of you know watching it as far as you know following along. Yeah, for sure. You know, we're talking about a legitimate program here, not just not just a good team, but a good program that's had a coach for forty one years, um, that's coached um, you know, major league MVPs. Um, and then we we go into the series and we have a, a great pitcher's duel on Friday night. Um, a game that we have to come back and win on a walk-off on Saturday. And then I think we just wore them down by the time we got to Sunday. Um, we saw a little bit in the field where, you know, they made some some mental errors, boss, that they probably they probably make nine out of ten times those plays, but they didn't just because of how mentally anguishing those first two games were for them. And, you know, we come out of this ten-game stretch, nine and one, 16 and four. I don't think you can ask for a whole lot more than that out of um, our ball club. Pirates are 16 and four, 20 games in. Definitely a tremendous start to the season. We'll get into maybe the differences between weekend, midweek stuff, and how East you can overcome that going forward. But guys, let's talk about the national polls. Uh, you know, we, all right, Scott has an awesome thread, Hoist the Colors, if you're unfamiliar with our website but you listen to the podcast uh just check out the thread on hoist the colors scott does a tremendous job kind of following breaking down the teams in the top 25 who's ahead of ecu who's behind ecu how they're doing he gives his butter pirate top 25 predictions each week um and i think we were all a little surprised at, at what d1 baseball specifically 
how they handle the rankings this week. We give them the most credit. They probably cover it better than anybody. They deserve the most credit. They, they put in the most, uh, you know, man hours into it. But, you know, ECU to go four and one, I can't, I think we all kind of expected the Pirates to jump 16 and four. I already have a series win over North Carolina. It's not like they haven't played anybody. And instead, the Pirates remain pat at 10. Scott, we'll start with you. Just how surprised were you with the Pirates hanging at 10 instead of maybe jumping up a spot? I thought we would at least move to nine. I kind of, I think I, I actually didn't have Ole Miss falling as far as they they ended up falling. Um, did have Tennessee dropping pretty far. But, yeah, I mean, you look at our schedule and we're two and one against top 25 teams. Two of those games were on the road. Um, that's the same record that Virginia has against the current top 25. Uh, UCLA is actually one and two against the top 25. You look at quad one and two um, wins and losses were 10 and two. Virginia's 10 and two. UCLA is eight and three. Now, granted, they played three games at Vanderbilt. So, I mean, that's probably a more difficult series than anyone we've played. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that we don't necessarily get credit for playing difficult games because we do play difficult games on the in midweeks. Um, there's a lot of really good baseball around us. Um, you know, you look at a school like Elon that we played that they went to Raleigh and thumped NC State. And then Virginia plays, you know, I think they, they – handled Virginia handled state pretty well on Friday night and then Saturday was a close game and then Sunday they had, ended up losing um I think they played Friday Saturday Sunday they might actually play Thursday through Saturday but either way you know so uh, you know Virginia's marquee wins are two wins in Chapel Hill and we have two wins over UNC as well but when we won those games we didn't make a enormous leap in the poll I think we went up two spots and then we lost those two spots the next week um, by going two and two, despite winning two games on the weekend and you know playing a, d- a difficult team in Duke and Durham, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's D one baseball does a great job covering everyone. If you listen to their podcast today, the the Shock Factor podcast, you know they they talked about us and they talked about a lot of um, programs that aren't in the so called um, Power Five, right? But if you listen to the Top 25 Breakdown podcast from last Tuesday, um, the one with Fit and Rogers and uh, Rooney um, and sometimes Joe Healy, they said, let's go through the conferences. And then they discussed the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12. They made one comment on the Big 10. And I was expecting them to talk about and everyone else, right? You know, and I think that's fair because those four conferences are legitimately the the best four conferences in baseball. But then they didn't. They just ended the podcast. And it's and it's frustrating that, you know, even the Big Ten gets a little bit of coverage, right? But we haven't been mentioned on their podcast for the last two weeks. And we're in the top ten. So, you know, I think it's kind of a – you if you don't watch us, you don't realize how legitimately good this pitching staff is and how – good East Carolina is and how good some of the teams we're playing are. Missouri State would finish second in this league. They would finish pretty high up and they would win the Big Ten and they would finish high they would finish in the top half of a lot of other leagues. So, you know, I think it's sometimes it's just really unfair that there are so many teams. There's so many programs and there are a lot of really good teams out there. And if you only look at the the conferences that are you know get a special buy in football 
then you're you're missing out on some really really good baseball. I don't know, Scott. Iowa baseball. There's no shot that Missouri State could top the Iowa Hawkeyes, who have now been ranked in both D1 and Baseball America this year. Yeah, uh, Indiana's like 13 and seven. So let's go ahead and throw them in the top 25 too, so we can have another top 25 win. Because I'm pretty sure we beat them like a drum. So, and they might be the second best team in the Big Ten. Yep. Yeah, there's no doubt. Jonathan, uh, your take on this, and, and I'll just say before we, we throw it to you, like I just think for whatever reason the the power five bias has bled into college baseball now. And you know, a team like UVA, because their name is UVA, and a team like North Carolina or NC State, they just seem to get more credit. Even we we just talked about it in the Big Ten. Like if you compare Iowa's resume to probably a lot of other you know, smaller conference teams out there. I'm sure Iowa's resume is probably less than that, but it ju- it's just frustrating when that seems to uh, to bleed into college baseball. Just your take on the Pirates maybe not getting as much respect as, as we would like. Yeah, and first of all, like Igo said, you know, check out Scott's thread on the Hoisty Colors message board. Puts a lot of hard work into that, and it's the first thing I check every morning. And it's really a nice little cheat sheet every morning to kind of see what happened, what's going to happen. Um, so check that out. But yeah, I agree. It's, it's just, it's frustrating that the same criteria doesn't seem to be used and you can say all you want about conferences, but in the end, when you're talking team to team, because that's what it should be. East Carolina is up there. East Carolina is a normal regional host. East is one of the powers in college baseball right now. And it's frustrating to not see the same criteria, you know, being used. I also thought they would probably move up nine, maybe to eight this week in the rankings. And I didn't expect UCLA to jump that far, Virginia. But, you know, they did. It's frustrating. I don't agree with it. But I also think there's a lot of baseball left to be played. I still think ECU will move up. There's plenty of time. And but it's and we've talked about the conferences all the time, but it feels like the, the margin of error is razor thin for ECU. But then when they're on the right side of that margin of error, they're not, it's not being reflected how it should be, I feel like. And that's the most frustrating part to me. Yeah, it always seems like ECU gets dinged for any slight mishap. And it takes a lot to either overcome that or get the respect, whereas other, you know, teams maybe get a little bit more. But, you know, ECU still gets more respect than the average non power five school or whatever. But still, there's still kind of a glaring. I don't know, bias against programs, even with ECU's consistency, which says how hard it is for a school like Campbell to break into the top 25. Glad they finally were able to do that this season. So, yeah, uh, Weston Myers says collegiate baseball still stinks. Couldn't agree more. Um, they have ECU 13 right now. That's honestly higher than I ever thought they would rank ECU. VCU won the national championship. They would probably rank ECU second uh, because that is collegiate baseball to a T. Uh, we got some questions rolling in. Again, if you got comments, questions, anything on uh, YouTube, Facebook, drop them in our comments section. We'll, we'll bring it up on the show. Caleb uh, brings up a good one. Scott, Kendall's reply to you this morning was silly. UVA doesn't have any weekend blemishes. Um, I saw you kind of respond to that. So if you want to, the floor is yours to uh, to bring it up on this podcast. Sure. They have uh, one more weekend loss than we do, right? Um, and – one of those losses was to a team that we did not lose to. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to say they don't have any weekend blemishes when you look at our resume and we don't either. Um, it's just, you know, if you're going on – so his other reply was that UCLA's schedule was impressive. And if, if that's the case, then why isn't Vanderbilt ranked number two? Because there's no way that you would have Wake Forest at two if it's based off of, well, you have to have no weekend blemishes and you have to have an impeccable schedule because Wake Forest has played – um, my high school team and my mom's softball league and um, a blind school. So, you know, like it's I, it's easy to say those things because the moment somebody fact checks you on them, you just don't reply and then the conversation's over. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's fine if they want to say that way. I'll always fight for us, um, you know, when I think we've been slighted in those polls. And I'll always try to comment early so that um, my comment actually gets uh, seen and responded to. I think the last time I looked, that tweet I had about um, Virginia and UCLA jumping us had like 40,000 views or something like that. So that's not typical of my Twitter account. So. Uh, Johnny Robertson uh, says UNCW, your stat guy, uh, UNCW has won nine of their last 10, UNC 11 of their last 13, Campbell seven of their last eight, William and Mary, four of their last five, and now won six in a row. So basically, if you play East Carolina and you lose or win, I guess, as in UNCW and Campbell, uh, you have a show off on a winning streak or a, a good stretch. So that should only help ECU's RPI going forward. I think we're finally starting to get into the territory. Maybe another week or so, we'll really start. Look at it now. I think ECU's 10 or 11. Somewhere in that range, just a good spot to be in, but still very volatile right now in terms of how much it'll move uh, throughout the, the coming uh, coming days. Just every game's result changes a lot. Uh, Dave Englert adds, ECU will likely always be snubbed more than other brand names, but the good thing is we can win it on the field and not be denied, as we have proved in recent years. I mean, I think that's a fair point. Um Bryant Stock says one and one versus quad one. They're ranked about where they should be. I'm is he I'm guessing he's referring to ECU. I'm assuming so. Let's see yeah. here. Um, I mean I feel like that's probably where you know there's not a ton of quad one games for a lot of schools right now. So look, I mean you can make the argument both ways. It's still very early. I just I worry about this bias against ECU because you know, I look at the schedule, and there's just not a lot of chances for marquee wins as the season goes on. So, is D1 baseball, is the committee just going to keep flip-flopping these teams over past ECU, or can the Pirates rise through the polls for the year? What, what do you think, Jonathan? I mean, is this are we making too big a deal about this? I mean, and, and just to be – I think, you know, being ranked 10th, I don't, I don't think that's – I don't think any of us have an issue with that itself. It's just, you know, other teams moving up for reasons that ECU hasn't, I think that's where the argument goes. But yeah, I mean, you're right. We are at that time of the year where your opportunities to pick up wins, marquee wins are few and far between. And most of them, all of them come on midweeks. Now moving forward, you know, you have UCF coming up and that's it weekend wise, these Campbell games, these NC state games, um, the, yeah, all the other ones, the, Carolina game makeup, the Old Dominion, those games are the ones that, you know, I don't want to say those are the games that matter, but when you're looking at RPI, those are the games that matter in the case that you need to win. 
But and as we talked about it before, it also just creates the argument that, you know, the margin of error is so razor thin for ECU. And I think that adds so much more pressure just knowing we got to go out and be perfect. And obviously the team's not looking at it. They don't care. But, you know, it's easy for us to say they pretty much have to go out and dominate the conference or they're not hosting this year. Or they're not going to be a top eight seed this year. But it's that time of the year where it's starting to matter. And we'll see how it goes. But, yeah, it's it's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating. Anderson Williams adds, uh, finally, TCU fell out of the top 25. I have never seen a 9-6 team ranked 11th of the country. So I feel the rankings are biased. I believe TCU jumped ECU last week, right? So Just a week before last. Okay, there you go. So, yeah, I mean, it's just um, – it's just, yeah, you just kind of – kind of laugh about it. Johnny adds UNC is on the cusp of being a quad one team. Good chance they become a quad one team as long as they have a good season with, you know, the ACC schedule, those guys are all going to move up um, as the the season goes along. Uh, Dan Rosenblum adds, look at where we were at this point last year and we didn't have a great remaining schedule, but if you win, you can climb. There's no doubt about that. Um, For sure. Uh, Dave adds, are we suggesting we need to schedule up a little get some games against these brand-name top 25 teams. You know, I think you can make that argument. Scott, you asked me in the VIP chat today about, you know, would you like to see ECU play in some more kind of multi-team tournaments? You know, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I wouldn't mind ECU going on the road again and playing. Um, you know, ideally, on a year ECU play see the majority of the games at home in the series, if they're going to continue this two-for-one, um, if they end up going back to neutral site, it's not a big deal. But ideally, you play the UNC series and maybe you have one other tough weekend in a non-conference game or a non-conference schedule. I would like to see that. But two, with the conference changing, I think you're going to see more conference series and I think the conference will be better. So I do think it will even out a bit. But uh, d- d- what are your thoughts on scheduling up? I think the schedule is at a decent spot right now. Um, but I, I, th- I think you could have maybe another really tough non-conference schedule. Yeah, I think um, one thing that you can do is get better teams in for um, the Keith LeClaire Classic, um, maybe at least one other top 25 team. They'll be more likely to do it um, if they only have to play us once. Um, you know, maybe make that the Saturday game and, you know, have it have it be a spectacle. I think somebody also suggested a, like, Carolinas tournament the way they do in Round Rock, or um, there's a tournament at the uh, Ranger Stadium, Um as well, where they get about eight teams come in. Um, typically, it's you know four Texas schools, um, and they you know they don't all play each other, but different teams play each other um, in the tournament. Maybe we could do that in Durham or Charlotte, um, or you know somewhere in South Carolina, and um, you know get teams like a South Carolina, a Kentucky, a UNC, um, NC State, uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech. And, and bring them in and have, you know, other schools like Coastal or uh, UNC Wilmington also participate in those um, and just have a big, you know, North Carolina baseball tournament to kind of celebrate the, the really good baseball that is played both in the ACC and outside the ACC in this state. All right, we got several questions continuing to roll in. Again, drop them uh, comments, questions, anything you got. Chuck wants to know, why are we playing George Mason 
in a three-game series. Kind of on this note, why not play UVA or Virginia Tech in a three-game series to build RPI? Again, there is a balance to this. Um, I don't think George Mason historically is a bad baseball program, and even lately they're playing better. I think they've won a handful of games in a row, unless uh, they, they drop one recently. Um, this isn't a bad series, and it's not a bad series. Look, you're, you're about to go into conference play. If the, if the damn conference could win some games, then, you know, like you, you're about to play Houston. That on paper should be a tough series, and maybe it will be by the time we get here. But Houston's 8-11. and 11, They're underperforming. You kind of want an easier final non-conference game to soften up before going into the, the conference play. So I don't have a big problem with the series. You had the Keith McClary Classic. You had the UNC. You know, maybe early in the year you could add another tougher non-conference series like we said. But, Jonathan, any thoughts here? I mean, it's, it's probably also hard to get UVA or Tech to want to play ECU in a three-game series when they already have a loaded ACC schedule. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really it right there, what you just said. It's the other team has to want to come here. And, you know, I, I hate it, but, you know, the teams like State – those te- they're not going to want to come here for a weekend series, non-conference, first couple months of the year. And like you said, it's just because they already have such a hard ACC schedule. Obviously, ECU doesn't have that problem with having a tough – and they're on the opposite end of the spectrum there. But, you know, I, I would like to see – and we've talked about it. I think I've been saying for months now on this podcast just about how I'd like to see – like Scott was just talking about, all those North Carolina schools, Virginia schools, South Carolina schools, whether it's a weekend, whether it's the Leclerc Classic, I think that's a great idea personally. But I'd like to see that more. But, I mean, the scheduling itself, it's – I don't – non-conference, it's really not all that bad. Like we've talked about, Missouri State's not a bad team. They might not be the sexy names on paper, but when, when you really look at it, you know, some of those teams like the Missouri State's – they're solid. They're good ball clubs and they're good tests. And I understand ECU at the same time, they're, they're doing what they can. And again, it takes, it takes two to tango, you know, those schools have to want to come here. And I think that's really the big problem. It would, it would be awesome, but at this point, I don't see it happening. Yeah. And, and the other factor for those two schools specifically is ACC uh, play has started. So, um, and, and SEC play has also started. Uh, so really, you know, those are the two conferences around us. Uh, so it's going to be difficult for them to play a three-game series at this point in the year, um, specifically. Um, next year, when we have a bigger conference, I think we'll also be in conference play at this point. So I think you'll see one less of these types of series, one less George Mason or George Washington or um, Abraham Lincoln or whatever founding father else that we can schedule. Oh man, nicely done. Uh, <laughs> uh, Weston, uh, thanks for bringing this up. Wake Forest is the most fraudulent team in the top ten, definitely in the top five. I can tell you that much. Um, what did Wake do this this week? Did they did they play anybody good? Do y'all know? Played Duke, didn't they? Or was that was that last weekend? I'll tell you one minute. I got it written down. I think they won two out of three at Duke last week. Wake won two, two out of three against Notre Dame, yeah. yeah. Is Notre Dame any good without Link Jarrett? They are not. No. Three in one week. 
No. Not good. Really interested to see how Wake does against some of these good teams in the ACC. Um, still not a believer. Still not a believer, Wake Forest. You're going to have to prove it to me. You're going to have to schedule ECU in a three-game series or come to Clark Claire in the postseason. Hell, ECU can go to Winston-Salem. I don't care. It'll be all ECU fans anyways. We'll see. We'll see how much they fall when when they when they lose a game. We'll be having a conversation with them next week. Well, you know what's going to happen. They're going to get swept by Miami next weekend. Miami's going to go to number five, and we're going to stay right where we're. <laughs> That's probably what will happen. Uh, McLean wants to know. Also, is that a Bill Dance T-shirt? Yes. It is. So, uh, Scott, fan favorite of the Hoisted Colors podcast. <laughs> Bill Dance uh, also fan favorite of the Hoisted. All right. I guess we should actually talk about what happened on the field this past week, guys, in terms of kind of performers instead of right, – we're going to move off the rankings. This is my fault. Look, this is my fault. I named this the uh, the discussion of the podcast. It killed about 30 minutes, so it did the job. But we got a job to do um, that did the job. But let's talk about some of the, the stars. We'll continue to kind of mix some questions in as we go along, and we'll answer questions at the end we haven't gotten to yet, so keep dropping them in. But first off, guys, just there's there so many individual standouts. It's hard to pick just a couple, but I feel like we have to start with the starting rotation, just dominant numbers. We talked about it all preseason. Is ECU going to be able to establish a starting rotation? Because last year, of course, everybody knows it was C.J. Mayhew and basically a bunch of other arms going two or three innings. This year, it's been the complete opposite almost. You've had – Tremendous starting pitching, especially from the for the last three weekends. This weekend, probably the best all around. Trey Savage, Josh Gross, each pitch into the eighth. Carter Spivey, career high in strikeouts. Just a dominant weekend on the mound. And right now, this looks like one of the best starting rotations in the country. Jonathan, your thoughts on, on these three guys this past weekend? Yeah, I think something I talked about coming into the season was the importance of finding a rotation – and it working and you sticking with it because last year I think so many of the struggles early in the season were just because the pitching staff was really a revolving door I mean Carson wasn't on obviously last minute gone and you really scraped the pieces together for the whole season guys like Ryder Giles came in and he was your Friday night guy for a couple weeks and he did really well in that role and eventually it became CJ Mayhew Garrett Saylor was in the rotation, but what that does when guys are just cycling in and out, it doesn't allow pitchers, mainly bullpen guys, to really settle into roles. And I think that's that's so important in baseball, especially at this time of the year. And having you Savage step up, and he was he was what Saturday, I think, to be in the year. Yep. Yep. So he was Saturday, and then you know Carter Spivey, he doesn't pitch second weekend. You Savage steps up into that Friday night role and he is never giving it back. And you Savage, just what he's able to do, we're not just talking a good ECU pitcher. We're talking one of the best arms in college baseball. We're talking probably a potential future first round draft pick, no doubter, if he continues doing what he's doing. And then Carter Spivey, you know, the numbers still, I don't think, reflect what he's done this year. Every hit he's given up has been a, either a weak ball up the middle or a weak ball off the end of the bat that drops in the outfield. Carter Spivey has pitched very well this year since he's come back. And Josh Gross, you know, I think we all had maybe questions coming into the year, but we're finally seeing it pieced together. And this weekend against Missouri State, this 
maybe I'm biased because I got there on Friday about an hour and a half early and I watched BP. I watched Missouri State take BP. That team hit tanks. There were balls top of the scoreboard through that crazy win to left field. I think they live and die a little bit off the long ball. And, you know, guys like Trey Savage, power arm, if he leaves one over the plate, that ball's going to go. Josh Gross, his all, his whole career, that's been his thing. It's It's been he, he gives up the long ball a lot. He gives up a lot of loud contact. He didn't do that this weekend. And, again, I think Missouri State, you can look at it and you might think, oh, maybe they weren't as good as we thought they were. I really think it has more to do with the pitchers and what they were able to do. And it came at a perfect time because the bullpen is a little shorthanded right now. You know, um, Willie Lumpkin hasn't been available. Landon Ginn hasn't been available. And again, Garrett Saylor, he was sick early in the year. Wasn't really able to settle into the true role he was going to be in. Maybe we're starting to see that. But I think that's the most important thing. It's such an important factor, settling in the roles and sticking with them. Injuries will happen. But having that confidence early in the year, and I know I just went on a very long rant, but I, I can't speak enough about how important that is. And these guys, it's th- that rotation is as good as we'll see, and that's gonna, that's going to be what take, carries you through a postseason. What's crazy is ECU pitching has only allowed twelve home runs this year. And again, I'm knocking on wood as I'm saying all this. Um, my desk is made of wood. Uh, the Pirates have hit twenty one, which is actually a lower number than uh, than usual for ECU's offense this time of year. But Josh Groves, you look at his numbers. Three home runs allowed, but teams are only hitting 133 against him. He's only allowed 12 hits in 26 innings. If he could cut down on the walks, 19 compared to 34 strikeouts, his walk rate is still pretty high. If he cuts down on the walks, man, I mean, he is a, I mean, one of the best pitchers in college baseball as well. Pure stuff has taken a jump. So just that dynamic, Scott, of having a guy throwing 94, 95. Hammer, slider, uh, great curve. Changeup was working really good yesterday on Sundays. Has really kind of, I think, completed the transformation of this weekend staff. Yeah, you look at it, 20 innings and 25 strikeouts this weekend. Um, just going through the numbers, you have, you know, Trey Savage is 3-0 and with a 1-4-8 ERA and 43 strikeouts with just six walks. I mean, that's, that's first-round draft pick numbers. And then Groves is 3-0 and with a 2.36 ERA. He has 34 strikeouts, but he does have 19 walks. Um, and I think that's prevented him from going a little bit deeper into games. But you saw this weekend, I mean, I thought the 3-2 pitch on the last batter he faced was a strike. Um, so it could have been eight, um, eight innings out of him on a, on a Sunday. And I don't know if there is a better Sunday starter in the country right now than Josh Groves. I mean, he is – he is really put putting together um, the full package from what we look for at, as a pitcher, and to have the ability to have a guy that can go that deep into ball games on Sunday. You know, you look at these two five game weeks and how many guys have to throw innings, and you come out on Sunday and you only require one and a third out of your bullpen because of how dominant he was. And you know, maybe if he strikes out the guy to end the eighth. Maybe he comes up for the ninth until he gives up a hit. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've been really impressed by Groves. Um, obviously, would love for him to walk a few less people, but I guess if you're not going to give up any hits, it's not much of a difference. Um, and, and then another guy, Jaden Winter, has really stepped up these last few weeks. Um, hasn't given up an earned run yet this year. I'll knock on wood, too. 
Um, he's got a, a 0.71 whip, so he's given up less than a, a base runner in inning. Um, he's an Apex guy, so that's that's cool. Shout out to Pro Five Academy here in Apex um, for sending him our way. But yeah, I mean, and, and we we've navigated this ten game span without Willie Lumpkin, without Ginn. Like, I mean, what we've done over the last two weeks has been, I think, more impressive than maybe what jumps out just based off of the teams we played on paper. Yeah, and a lot of that goes back to the starting pitching ability to pitch deep into games, you know, making the bullpen not have to cover so much ground, so to speak. And I do want to talk about the bullpen a little bit. We got to talk about the positive first, guys. Wyatt Lunsford-Shinkman has kind of grown into a very capable option. He now leads the team with 10 appearances as Johnny. Johnny, I was going to – I had this myself, but I'm going to give you credit for it. Uh, Lunsford-Shinkman, after the UNC series, he got hit hard on that Sunday. I think he faced like three batters and gave up just hard contact to all. He's pitched 12 and a third innings with no runs, two walks, and 15 strikeouts. Like he's just punching out guys left and right. He's taking the mound with energy, with intent. You just love to see it. Um, the other guy I feel like we got to mention how about Jake Hunter, man? Jake Hunter, like he's pitched even better than his numbers indicate. And the strikeouts have been up. You know, the pitch mix is there. Jonathan just, you know, and he really saved ECU on Saturday. And Saturday's game, without him, ECU doesn't have a shot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when, when Jake Hunter is throwing strikes, he is a bona fide weekend rotation arm. And, I mean, I don't say that lightly. We know how good our rotation is. Jake Hunter is in that mix if he, I think, prior, last year and maybe offseason was around the zone a little more. And now we're seeing that. I think he – he still does, you know, kind of struggle with the strike zone sometimes. And but I think I think he settled nicely into that, you know, second midweek guy. You know, maybe he's first, him and Garrett Saylor. And I mean Garrett Saylor too. Garrett Saylor's turned it on. But I mean Jay Connor, that's a guy, again, he's a starter. So if he can come in, he saved us on Saturday. I think it was Saturday. And without Jay Connor, I don't I don't know if we win that game. And Jay Connor came in, pitched very well. And he's he's just done it. And he's been very good on midweeks too. And again, I think he's a midweek guy. But if you can have that coming into the bullpen, especially if, you know, obviously our starters aren't going to throw seven innings every game, every weekend moving forward. You know, they're going to have days where they go four, they go five. Jake Hunter can come in and throw. He can give you an inning. He can come in for a batter and shut you down, get you out of a jam. Or he can give you three, give you four, get you length, get you to the end of a ball game. So uh, that's really valuable, especially with, the, again, the state of the bullpen right now. But really nice to see. And, again, he's kind of settling into that role. It's a theme I'm going to keep going back to, but he's settling into his role. I think he has a week. I think he has a midweek role, and I think he also has that weekend role out of the bullpen if we need him to. Yeah, Dan asks, so is Hunter just the weekday guy in a four-game week until further notice? Then uh, you asked him, like, is he the midweek starter or or what? Either way, I think I think you get a sailor in the midweek starter right now, right, Scott? Yeah, I agree. Sailor's gone five plus um, in his last two midweek starts. I think that gives you something um, that you really need. You know, I think we talked about this in the preseason podcast about how long it's been since ECU had a true midweek starter. Um, 
you know, that Tuesday night guy that if something happens to one of your weekend guys can jump in and has been starting and has been stretched out and can go, you know, five, four, five, six innings in a game. I think that's Sailor right now. I'd actually love to see um, Sailor and Hunter kind of tango that role where the intent is send Sailor out for, you know, 75, 80 pitches. Then Hunter comes in and, you know, theoretically, maybe you can get a whole game out of those two and completely take any stress off the bullpen for the weekend. I don't think we have another five-game week um, this year. Um, I may be wrong about that. Somebody can fact check that. But um, if we can go into the weekend with all of our bullpen arms fresh or we've only had to use one or two guys for an inning or two, I think that gives us a huge advantage, especially with the way our starters are pitching, to where we don't need to worry about, well, you know, this guy pitched 55 pitches on Wednesday, so he's not really there for us on Friday night or, you know, Saturday night or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I think it, it you know, it's kind of weird how the season's played out and that we we kind of thought Garrett Saylor would be a back-end bullpen guy. We kind of thought Trey Savage really until the preseason when we really knew he was going to be a starter. We kind of thought he would be a back-end bullpen guy. And like I think the bullpen is still kind of figuring out some roles. And, you know, part of that is due to, you know, Sailor's inconsistency. We've seen Zach Root and Tyler Brott be good at times. Somebody asked earlier. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, he said, uh, Kevin said, Billy. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to be funny here uh, or if he's just uh, off. Uh, Billy pulled Root real quick. Is he in good shape or his arm sore? Uh, I believe you mean Cliff Goblin. He has been the coach at East Carolina now. Uh, this is his ninth season. Billy Goblin coaching at uncg now um no root's fine he just he you know him and abroad are, are just not being consistent in terms of throwing strikes right now so when you get behind no matter how good your stuff is if you're walking guys you're going to get hurt you know every pitcher goes through it it's hard to be dominant for an entire season and you know jonathan i do think it is key both those guys get back on back on track we've kind of seen eric Ritchie when he throws strikes he's really good um, I, I think the question with this bullpen right now is what's the strike throwing ability? I think the stuff is there. It's just, can these guys consistently throw strikes? Uh, your take on kind of how this bullpen's come together. Yeah. I mean, I think strike throwing is the most important thing when you're a pitcher. I mean, we saw what happens when you don't do that. Um, let's not talk about the Duke game, but you know, you, you look at the Duke game and that's what happens when you can't find the strike zone. And I mean, yeah, you mentioned guys like Tyler Brott and Zach Root, both just, you know, really short outings this weekend. And, I mean, really the last – we talked about this 10-game stretch, you know, not in one of the last two games, 10 games. It's been without them two. And I think if you mention, if you take that knowing you don't have Landon again, you don't have Willie Lumpkin available right now, it's even more impressive. But, you know, I think, yeah, I go you mentioned Eric Ritchie. He still struggles to find his own a little bit. And But when he is around the zone, he's really good. And I feel like that's the same thing with just about everyone out of that bullpen. It's just who can find the zone consistently and who can do it on a game-to-game basis when they're on. And, you know, you look at Willie Lumpkin. I think his issue was more probably getting hit around a little bit. I think he walked a couple guys early in the year. But he bounced back, and now he's your go-to guy. I still think Tyler Brott will bounce back. 
If Tyler Brock throws strikes, his stuff is dominant. He's a perfect back-end bullpen type guy. Zach Root, not worried about it. He's young. He, I think he got off to such a good start. We all probably were like, you know, we put him all the way up here. And, you know, he's still a freshman. He's still so young, and he's still getting used to college baseball. First really grind through a season like this. And, I mean, we were all talking about him in a rotation two weeks ago. And Zach Root, Zach Root comes back and just throws strikes, and he's around the zone. We, we've seen what he can do, and he, he's going to get back to that. I have no doubt about it. And if you can get that from, you know, two to three more guys can, on a consistent basis, you're going to be in really good shape. We should see Willie Lumpkin back uh, by this weekend, Cliff Goblin said, and also Landon Ginn. Dave asked, uh, when can we expect to see him and what should we expect to see from him? So Landon Ginn, per my sources, serving a 22-game suspension. That will end after Friday. And Cliff also said he will be back Saturday, so it matches up. Uh, Landon, extremely talented. I watched him pitch in the preseason. He was 91-93 with a fastball, hard slider, also a changeup. He's got back-end bullpen stuff. It's just, you know, how is he going to go from not pitching at all in live games uh, for a long time to being thrust in there? Now, he could he can develop into a guy. There's no doubt. Um, also, Willie Lumpkin coming back from injury should be should be a, a big boon. I mean, like you said, only one walk this season, Jonathan, in six appearances. So he was pitching well. He was in the strike zone. So, Scott, I think those two guys – and, again, I, you know, I think we can see more Danny Bill um, and maybe another one of these guys emerge kind of as the season goes along. So I think the bullpen will improve. It's just still try, trying to kind of find some roles there. Yeah, you know, you look at Root, um, you know, how many games do you play in high school? Like 30. So we're getting like towards what he, would be towards the end of what he's used to. Um, and then Brod obviously coming from BMI, maybe he hasn't played in front of crowds. And I think both of them kind of fell in love with, with striking guys out earlier in the season. And now they're being a little too, you know, too swing and miss tendency. You know, they're looking to get swings and misses as opposed to just going up there and using their stuff to dominate people. Um, as far as Ginn, I think I think we'll see him Sunday and probably the eighth or ninth inning um, when we're up by 10 um, on George Mason. I think I don't think you throw him out. Um, immediately into the fire. Um, and I think that George Mason is a team that we should beat by a lot. Um, I say that, and then we probably won't. Um, and I am sorry for doing that to everyone. But, um, you know, I, I know they won seven in a row, but six of the games they've won were against teams that have a combined one win. So let's let's go out there and handle business against them and get some of these guys some more in-game experience, some more time on the mound. And – and get you know Charlie Hodges is another guy that I'd like to see it get up get more work. Um, Danny Bill obviously, um, and then I, honestly I'd like to see Sailor get some some more work on the weekends too, just because we may end up needing him um, on the weekends come regional time or even super regional time. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Uh, Jared Plummer kind of has a question going off that. He has a solid amount of talent on our team. If you are the coaching staff, how difficult is it to manage high-level athletes that want to play and can play at other programs right away? Certainly a, a valid, legitimate question. The good news is this is not foreign to Cliff Goblin. I feel like this has been something he's really dealt with the past four or five years since he's kind of built this program up. So, you know, I, I guess you could say the portal, the NIL era has kind of changed some of this stuff. Um, you know, I would like, you know, I'll say I'd like to see more of Cam Burgess. I'd like to see more of Dixon Williams personally, but Look, Cliff is around these guys every single day. Jeff Palumbo, Austin Knight, they see these guys every single day. They know what is going to allow the team to perform the best. So I think they've uh, they've kind of earned the right to, uh, for us to trust them at this point. Obviously, there is – you know, you do have to kind of massage certain situations as coaches this day and age. I, you know, I'm sure there are some tough conversations at time, but also if ECU is having success on the field, Jonathan, I think it becomes a much easier conversation. You know, if you're losing a bunch of games, maybe you try and change things up, but when you're winning, it's kind of hard to disrupt that formula. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you look at, you know, the guys in the lineup that we might be looking to get out in favor of other guys, those are your veterans. Those are your team leaders. So it's tough to take those guys out too. And that plays into it. It should. And yeah, you, you said it, the guy, the coaches are around the guys every, every day. And I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I think on Saturday it was the seven, eight, nine, one part of the ECU's order was coming up. I saw Cam Clonch in a dugout with a helmet on and I'm like, Oh cool. He's coming in. I'm like, I love Cam Clonch. This is his time. And I'm like, okay, pinch it for Joy Barini. Big spot, pinch it. Joy Barini comes through with a hit. Pinch it for Alec Makarovich. Amat comes through with a hit. Pinch it for Lane Hoover. Please pinch it for Lane Hoover. I was begging. Lane Hoover comes up with a big hit. And then what does Luke Nowak do when I called to pinch it for him? He comes through with another hit. And it was just back to back to back to back. And I was like, all right, I'm I'm just going to continue doing this all the time. And it seems to be working. But, yeah, I mean, we might have guys that want – to get on the field and they might want to get on the field too. But I think if you come here, you are buying into cliff and you are buying into the program. And I think if you wait, your time will come guys like Jacob Starling, guys like Connor Norby in the past, if you wait, your time will come. And I think there are a lot of talented guys on the bench. Yeah. Would I like to see them maybe get some more at bats right now? Absolutely. But in the end, I trust what they're doing because the record looks good right now. And I have no reason to believe that, the record's not going to keep looking good. So we'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, I trust the coaching staff, even though I might at times have disagreements. Speaking of Starlin, uh, Luke wants to know, is Starlin playing like the best player on the team? 
I don't know, Josh Moylan tearing the cover off the ball as well, Scott. What do you got? Yeah, Moylan, uh, I think, leads the team in, um, on base percentage. Maybe it's still Will Coxon. Uh, Will Coxon, I mean, it's hard not to throw his name out there, playing a position as difficult um, on your body as catcher and then still leading the team in batting average. Um, but, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll go with best hitter um, for this conversation because I think you could certainly make the ar- argument that Trey Savage is the best player on the team right now. Um yeah, I, I, Starling's up there. Um, I think he's six of seven for um, stolen bases. Um, he's hitting the ball in the gap. He's walking. He's being patient. He had he had a little bit of a rough stretch there against Liberty, um, but responded this weekend. Uh, yeah, I, I, if you made me pick right now who I thought was playing the best of anyone on the team, I'd probably pick Starling. But I, if you gave me three choices, I would put Starling, Wilcoxon, and Moylan all in that top three. Jacob Starling right now, 18 walks, three hit-by-pitches, 14 strikeouts, 474 on base percentage. Luke Nowak, 16 walks, two hit-by-pitches, 14 Ks, 470 on base percentage. So those two guys at the top of your order doing pretty damn good. Um, another guy we got to talk about, Lane Hoover, getting his mojo back. Dave says, uh, love to hear Cliff express his faith and admiration. Love to see Hoob start to hit again. Um, I just remembered I forgot to say why. Lunch for Freakman. <laughs> uh, damn, I'm, I blew it, guys. Only true insiders know. Check out your Twitter feed if you want to really know. Um, from us. That was yesterday, right? Sunday? Sunday, I think. Yep. Yeah, Sunday's game. Um, <laughs> first hit, man. All right, anyways, Lane Hoover, seven hits. He is seven for his last, let's see, three, six. Thirteen. Thirteen, there you go. Come on, kill him. I wrote it down before. <laughs> uh, you're like, you and Donnie are competing to be the stat king. Seven for 13. It's been great to see Hoover get back, uh, hasn't it, Scott? Oh, 100%. I mean, that's a guy that – that has has given us all to this school and this program, and he works hard out there. Um, he's kind of a, a Ryan Friel comp, if you remember him, and he's one of he was one of my favorite players, um, you know, when I was playing. Um, so yeah, I, I'd love to see Hoover get you know get his uh, justice of seven of thirteen in his last four games and earn his spot back. And you know, sometimes all it takes is a break. Uh, Skull Pirate has entered the comment section, by the way. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's a Bill Dance shirt for the third time. <laughs> I guess. Scott is wearing a Bill Dance shirt. I'm wearing my His Bill Dance autographed Pinkman. hat next week, and then everybody's going to be confused. Uh, by the way, Skull Pirate says he's triggered by my off-center backdrop. I tried to center it. Look, it's... <laughs> I need to get it wider. It's 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 in the uh, it's in the can. All right, we're working on it. Now you got me all flustered, Skull. I had a comment that I was going to talk about. Now I don't even know. All right, here we go. Here's a good one from McLean. Um, and I think this is a debatable topic, but I think it's a valid one. He says, "My only issue with this team, and we've gotten some questions about the offense." Um, he says, "My only issue is that I don't think we have a truly feared hitter yet." like a Bryson Worrell, a Packard, Norby, Francisco, Brick House, et cetera. 
I kind of agree with that, although I will say I think there's potential for sure. Jacob Jenkins, Cowart, Wilcox, and Moylan. And even, you know, I don't know if Starling will ever be that feared guy, but Jonathan, what's your take on kind of McLean's point uh, with this comment? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I agree with it as of right now. I think nobody in the current lineup is at that, you know, stature of proven caliber. You know, the Brickhouses, the Packers, the Norbies, you know, they stepped up and they were good over the whole course of the season. We haven't seen these guys. We, we obviously saw what JJC can do last year. I think he's starting to heat up a little bit too. He's he's probably close to seeing Josh Moreland right there as well. But, I mean, I do think that the depth to this lineup, and, again, you can all we can all say, and I've said it too, but there, there might be guys you want to see taken out of the lineup every once in a while, but I still think when you look at it one through nine, the depth is pretty impressive. I mean, a guy we haven't talked about, and he's he's not in this same conversation, but he still deserves to be talked about is Riley Johnson. And he he came in when when he was inserted into the starting lineup, you know, not only did he provide that guy, he was in the nine hole to start. And he hit so well to come in. He's got sneaky pop too, but he's just got he's gonna send it right back up the middle every time. He will get on base and he's so fast. And you know, Riley Johnson, he brings it defensively, too, on the base pass. So he's good. So I like the depth of this lineup when it's on. But I do think due to some of the inconsistencies we see with some guys at times, it would be nice to have that, you know, Bryant Packard, Thomas Francisco, Spencer Brickhouse type guy that's a consistent threat at the top. Again, JJC can be that guy. I think we're still kind of waiting for him to reach that level this season. Not there yet. But yeah, I, I think I think he'll get there. He's I, to me, he's the closest you have him and Josh Moylan. Johnny Robertson adds Carter Cunningham's attitude is great when he doesn't start. He always stays positive and is ready to contribute. That bomb into the win on Sunday was impressive. Yeah, he's been almost better off the bench at times than he has in the starting lineup. But it's awesome to see him, you know, putting together a a, uh, a solid uh, solid season. Austin Kearns type guy, says Dan Hunt. <laughs> I agree, 100%. I mean, maybe Adam Dunn. We need a 200-hitter with 45 home runs. <laughs> I yeah. don't know, we have that. We have Amat. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, that was me. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> listen, man, if, if you're going to strike out, I will say this about Amac. When he teased it up, He's almost like the Missouri State guys this past weekend. Like, he's swinging so hard when he makes contact, it's going to go a long way. There's nothing wrong with having a guy like that in your lineup. You just can't have every guy like that be in your lineup, um, if that makes sense. All right. Let's talk about this coming week. Again, if you got any more questions, I may have missed one or two. I'm, you know, Skull Pirate, he did ask, is it weird that a former ECU football player umpires ECU baseball games? Is it weird that a former ECU football player ejected an ECU head coach in the baseball game. He was umpiring maybe, um, but Wilson Rayner has been umpiring for a long time. So I don't think it's that weird. You know, if it was like Damon Magazoo out there out of nowhere, like that would be a little weird. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. All right, let's talk about this coming week guys. Again, if you got questions, comments, drop them. We'll uh, get them to you. Skull. I'm not answering all your questions. Sorry. Um, Campbell on Wednesday in Fayetteville. 
First off, are either of you guys planning to go? I am not. What about you guys? I will not be. I will not be there. We'll be listening on the radio, it sounds like. Yeah, it sounds like uh, no stream. Again, maybe that'll be corrected by the time you guys hear this podcast, but neither Campbell or ECU, the schedules are showing a stream right now. It will be played at the Fayetteville Woodpecker Stadium. Um, we will have uh, intern Case in there. I am being put on a, a travel restriction. Uh, my wife is 10 days from her due date, so can't really leave the city limits in case uh, craziness strikes. So, um, so, yeah, I'll be listening on the radio as well, it sounds like. But huge game. You know, somebody asked earlier, is this a must-win? I'm not going to scroll all the way back to the top, but they were like, is this a must-win game? I'm going to say it's not a must-win game. I do think it is a big game. Campbell with an RPI of 14. They're a potential hosting team. You look at their schedule, they have an e- even easier schedule than East Carolina. Um Really looking forward to this one, Scott. I think it should be a great game. Yeah, 100%. You know, it's two top 25 teams, two teams fighting for respect. Um, if we don't win this one, then we can't take the series, right? So we only, we get one more game against them later in the year at home. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a game that I think Campbell has only beaten us, you know, one time in the last however many seasons. So, or maybe two times now, but – um, it's a game I wish I could watch. I think it, it, it will be a well-played game. I wish it could go, um, obviously. When you have two kids and one is as small, as you'll soon find out, kind of already finding out, it's hard to travel, um, especially during the week. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a game that that I really wish we could get video for. And, I, you know, I've harped on this a lot about playing at places where there can't be video. It, I think it's unfair to the fans of the program um, I, which I will say, I think this is a really cool venue for the team. Um, and, and I, and I do commend this, the staff for scheduling games like this, where they get to play in minor league stadiums and, and nicer, you know, venues. Um, but it, it is tough to not be able to watch. Um, and, and we're spoiled. Cause I, I remember actually my wife showed me a picture yesterday of, from us of 10 years ago, sitting on our porch with, you know, game trackers up. And we're just listening to the radio of an ECU game with the game tracker up on the porch. And that was the norm, um, not, you know, ESPN Plus like we have now. So we're, we're really lucky to get to see, you know, 95% of our games. And I wish I could see this one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't say it's a must win, but it's a, it's a really want to win for sure. Wags, uh, before I get your take on this game, I just want to read over the coming RPIs for the midweek games, and then I'm going to read the RPIs for the weekend series. Uh, Campbell is 14, UNCW 152, NC State 15, Old Dominion 22, Charlotte 102, NC State again 15, North Carolina 56, Old Dominion again 22, Campbell again 14. So pretty much all top 50 or top 100 teams. Weekend series, George Mason, 248. Houston, 204. UCF, 81. Give him a little golf clap. Uh, Cincinnati, 154. Wichita State, 140. Tulane, 183. Cincinnati again, 154. Memphis, 181. USF, 173. So... 
again, I'm not going to say ECU should throw Trey Savage on Wednesday. They got to play to win the weekend. But at what point do you start prioritizing these midweek games, if at all, compared to conference play? I mean, you got to win the conference championship. There's no doubt. But how do you how do you balance that? Starting with really what I think is a big game on Wednesday against Campbell. Yeah, hundred percent. I think. Again, I don't think Campbell is a must win, but yeah, you, you want to win it. You want to win all these midweeks because, again, that's that's your only chance to resume boost. Yeah, UCF, but man, UCF series are always close and tight too. So, and that's when UCF isn't even good. So, you know, these midweek games are so important. And I, I don't think you mess with the rotation and you go and throw your savage five year sailor, or sorry, not sailor gross on. Wednesday, but I, I do think it, it comes at a good time given what the starting rotation did this past weekend because then even guys like Wyatt Lunsford-Shankman who pitched twice, I think he threw around 30-something pitches, he's probably available Wednesday. I would say everyone's available Wednesday. You probably start Sailor, but after that, it's, it's really probably hands on deck, all hands on deck, and I think that's how you have to approach it. Going against the weaker teams in conference play, I think it. I think you're going to be okay if the starting rotation continues to do what it does, because, like I said, then your bullpen's more fresh and you can use them on midweeks. And you know, if you need Tyler Brock to go out there and give you a couple innings on Wednesday, cool, he can do it. If you need Wyatt Lunch for Chankman to do it, he can do it. Zach Root, cool. Anybody else, they're all available. It's just a matter of keeping that ability for those guys to do that every week moving forward. So I think it adds a little more pressure to weekends too, for that reason. And it's these midweek, you got to come out hit. If you don't come out and hit early, if you're trailing, if you know, you do it, you do it against William and Mary, you come back, whatever. And no disrespect to William and Mary, but these Campbell's NC States, Old Dominion, they're different. If you come out and you do not hit early in the game, against these teams, you will not win. And we've seen it happen, and we're going to see it continue to happen. So it just adds a lot of pressure. But, again, I think if the weekend rotation keeps doing what it does, you have the ability to continue throwing out anyone and everyone on these midweeks, and that's what you you have to hope for. Uh, somebody asked earlier who will Campbell throw. They're not going to throw the right guy because he pitched this past Friday, but they'll probably uh, continue to throw – their midweek guy who's a – I think it's East Tennessee State transfer. He threw against ECU the first time, pitched really well. Um, you'll probably see him again. You'll probably see uh, – t- was it Cummings out of the bullpen? He, he pitches against ECU in every potential game. So you're going to see their best arms outside of probably the Friday guy. You know, ECU's got to counter with a, you know, a better approach or a better execution this time offensively. Scott, I, I do think the – the beginning of this game will be important. They can't, you know, some slow starts in the middle weeks, especially at what point, you know, do they turn that around? Is it this week? I guess we'll, we'll find out, but that's certainly a key. For sure. You know, uh, it's a team that we got to jump out on. It's a team that can also come back on us. But if you look at the last game, you know, they, they gifted us three runs on a, on a misplayed ball. Um, and we really struggled, but I think our offense is very different now than it was then. We were still kind of figuring out roles and, um, lineups and all those kind of things. Uh, I think you'll see a different ECU offensively. Um, and uh, I think this is great. I think this is our first revenge game of the year, first time we played a team that we lost to. So 
um, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Uh, the team, our team, responds to having um, to play a team that they've lost to because um, we haven't been in that position very much. All right, let's make our picks, guys, for the coming week before we get out of here. Uh, if you got any final questions, drop them below. Uh, actually, before we do that, who is the home team in Fayetteville? McLean just asked. They will actually flip a coin for it, I'm told. So uh, They should do the rock, paper, scissors thing that Frank said. I like that yeah. way better. I mean, honestly, I'd rather see that than flip a coin for <laughs> home or away. Um Last week, I believe you guys were both right with four and one predictions. I predicted five and zero, oh, and they immediately lost. So um, I don't really know what to do. Uh, this time, I'll go last. We'll go with Jonathan first. Um, I feel like we made you go last last week. You redeemed yourself. You, you nailed the prediction. So, what do you got for the ECU uh, four game week? I, I I'm going to go with three and one. I have ECU losing to Campbell. I just and it's for the reasons I just talked about. I think <laughs> you know that's that's fair. That's fair. Boo me all you want, but you know I hope I'm wrong. But I think for the reasons I just talked about, you know, offensively, I still do have questions. I still do think the team waits a little too long to get going sometimes, and we see it weekends, we see it midweeks, and I, I'm not seeing consistent enough at bats from one through nine, and really nobody's excluded. Just about. Sometimes, you know, I think I want to see the lineup tinkered with a little bit. But for me, I just I don't know if the offense is going to come out and do what it needs to do against Campbell's pitching. And we saw what happens against Campbell if ECU does not hit well. So I think ECU is going to lose to Campbell, come out, and I think I think you win pretty convincingly in all three games over the weekend. I'll, I'll say seven – you're going to average at least seven – runs margin of victory this weekend i think so that's what i got scott you're next what do you got well i predicted this year we would go 45 and 11 and i still believe that maybe i'm as hard-headed as a pachycephalosaurus but i'm gonna go with four and oh this week and i think i think we went all four games convincingly wow so Jonathan's providing the motivation. Scott is providing the hype. Um, I tell you, you just what, everyone off, yeah. I'm trying to think how to play. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I just feel like ECU is really good in revenge games in baseball, especially. I, I feel like they got to take this one personally, man. Losing the way they did in Bowie's Creek, I just feel. A great performance coming on Wednesday night. I don't know why. I just feel ECU is going to win like seven to one. Maybe I'm way off, but I feel good about it. I think the Pirates could win, and then I think they're going to lose a game to George Mason over the weekend. Get a little too, a little too high on themselves. Come back three and one is what I'm going with, uh, along with Jonathan. Certainly hoping for a four and week. It's just hard to uh, continue to to dominate and sweep every weekend. But hey, if you get the starting pitch and ECU has, uh, you're gonna you're gonna continue to have success. Um, Luke Dover says, "Will Cliff get ejected in what game, Luke? I'm guessing the Camel game. I'm gonna say since he just got ejected, he will not get ejected this week. Later in the season, give him some time. 
he'll find his way. Uh, you know, next time Wilson Rainer's behind the plate, maybe he'll ask for an ejection again. I'm still, I'm still saying that he, he probably tried to get ejected. I don't think there was a, you know, it's not a situation where, uh, where Wilson ejected him because he was being mean. I'm sure Cliff asked for it. So we're getting a lot of uh, eject Jonathan from the podcast comments. <laughs> um, hey, look, Frank I go says, just said three and one too. Yeah. Frank says, uh, come on, we are pirates. Skull says, I wonder if Cliff has a certain amount of ejections he can have a year before the AD gets mad. I don't think so. I think he has unlimited. All right, guys, let's get out of here. Otherwise, we're all night. Um, Final thoughts, Scott. You, you said forty-five and eleven. You're, you're really still. I tell you what. Is there a chance that ECU finishes even better than that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that this this league is there's there's enough bad teams in this league where we can go three zero on most weekends. Um, you know, I think to, to go 45 and 11, we'd have to go 20 and 4 in conference, which is what we've done, um, I think, the last two years. Or we've won 20 games three years in a row. One year was the year of the four game series. So we went 20 and 8 that year. Um, I think we went 20 and 4 in 19 and 20 and 4 last year. I think we beat that, that mark this year. I think we, we win 21 or more conference games and end up, you know, 45 and 11 or 44 and 12. I'll, so I'll stick with 45 and 11. I think we're on pace right now. I think 80% of 56 is like 44 and a half or something like that. So we're, we're right on track and we played more difficult teams to this point than we will over the next, what, 30 some games. You heard it there. Scott says uh, the Pirates will win 47 games. 50. Wow. My lights just flickered on and off. That was really freaky. Um, as I said that, so, uh, Scott, I, all right. Good question here before we get out of here. And I promise we'll wrap it up after that. I'm sorry. Um, Skull wants to know who will host the podcast when I goes out on paternity leave. Who's going to be the host, Scott or Jonathan is what I want to know. I think we'll rock, paper, scissors for it. <laughs> Y'all should do a live coin flip on the air. Yeah. We'll do it we start off. The Black Pearl, who also just drops nuggets all day on the baseball threads. We'll just get him – he'll sail in. Let's just get Cliff Godwin to come on and host it for us. I would love <laughs> to see his reaction to some of these questions. Some of our answers, too. Yeah. <laughs> you can see it live on the, the Hoist of Colors YouTube page, some games when he does his post-game press conferences. Uh, he'll, he's not, uh, he doesn't shy away from getting on us reporters, but Hey, he's been good this year. Cliff, if you're listening, we appreciate you. We love you, Cliff. Um, all right, let's get out of here guys for Jonathan, for Scott. I'm Steven Igo. This has been the Hoist of Colors podcast. Appreciate you guys for commenting as always. Again, like, comment, subscribe. And then after you do each of those things, hit the notifications bell. So every Monday night when we go live, you know that we're going live. And who knows, next Monday it might be Jonathan that is uh, that is hosting. Maybe it's Scott. Maybe it's the Black Pearl uh, led by Johnny Depp himself uh, hosting this podcast. All right, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. <laughs>